appreciate the song selection tonight. These are all the songs that will get stuck in my head, and, <laughs> and I'll be in the middle of the night just singing them. And, and so uh, I guess thank you. Uh, <laughs> I did want to mention this real quick before we get started, because I forgot to mention it during the announcements, but we did, we did uh, have uh, our election this morning for our deacons, and we have uh, our four elected deacons are uh, Eddie Lee Ashley, Mike Bridges, Ronald Greer, and Sp- Scott Spites. And so Thank you very much, gentlemen, uh, for your willingness to serve our church. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, and uh, thank you for this evening. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to to explore uh, your grace. And and God, we're going to kind of take a a weird twist on that this evening, but really, that's what we're aiming for, God, is is we're looking at uh, your grace. And and so, Father, would you... uh, (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, would you uh, open up our hearts to that message, Lord? Would you open up our hearts to, to receive what you have for us, God, and, and that your, your word would speak life into our hearts, God, that you, your word, as it is, living and active, God, that it would become living and active for us, Father, that, that we would not just read it, we would not just memorize it, we would not just meditate on it, but, God, we would live it. And, Father, I pray that that, uh, that what we talk about tonight would be in, in that same vein, God, something that that uh, maybe you would convict us of, maybe something that you would, you would challenge us in, and God, that's something we could move forward with uh, and, and look more and more like Jesus Christ. And so, Father, may we understand your word tonight. May you speak through me and use me as your tool, uh, Lord, to, to accomplish your purposes, Father, as I stand upon the authority of your word, but behind the cross, so that you may receive all the glory. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and open up the word of God to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. A few weeks ago, my mom uh, came into town, and she stayed the weekend, and while she was here, we had a minor emergency. Mom has been wearing uh, her wedding ring for years and years and years, uh, and, and even after my dad died, she's been wearing her, her wedding ring, I think, on her right hand uh, since, since my dad died. And, and anyways, uh, this past weekend, the diamond uh, in, in the center set of... of the wedding ring fell or, or was lost, okay? And so, so mom said she woke up that morning. It was, I don't remember what day it was. It was a weekday. I think it was probably Friday. She said she woke up that morning and, and, uh, and she remembered putting her ring on and seeing the diamond there. But after that, it was a complete blur. We had done all kinds of stuff that day. We went to go uh, eat at porches uh, together. We had, we had been playing outside with the kids. In fact, at the moment that she realized that the diamond was missing, Uh, she was washing dishes and there was no stopper over the drain and so that was her first thought and that was her first fear that that diamond uh, had gone down the drain so so when mom told me about this I I said okay we got a rule me and Carly have a rule when we lose something in the house we pray and and then I I said we have two rules the first thing is we pray and then secondly we believe that God's going to answer it and so so me and my mom we, we prayed together but then I brought in the big dog I brought in the big guns I called Carson. <laughs> I said, like, Carson, come here, bud. And I said, listen, Carson, tonight or today, you are going on a treasure hunt. Well, my son lit up like it was the 4th of July. He was so excited to be going on a treasure hunt. Because you have to understand, when I tell my son that we're going on a treasure hunt, it usually means we're going to look for a lost shoe or a lost toy. But when to this day, when I got to tell him, you're actually going to look for treasure. 
The boy went nuts. <laughs> he, he was absolutely excited. He ran, or I told him, I said, we're looking for a diamond, and the way you find a diamond is you shine a light on it so you can see it sparkle. Well, he ran to his room, and he grabbed his bug. Uh, we, we got him this bug catcher vest, and he put on his bug catcher vest, and he has a lantern that it goes along with it. So he had his light, he had his vest, and on his vest there's a little clipped-on magnifying glass. And he was so excited. In fact, he was so excited that he pulled out a kitchen drawer and started pulling out random stuff that would not help the search in any way whatsoever but he thought that it would so he pulled out like a barbecue paintbrush thing you know what i'm talking about he pulled that out and he pulled out a little whisk and he just loaded up the pockets of his thing and he was absolutely ready to go on uh this this treasure hunt unfortunately of course for him the treasure hunt lasted all of about a minute <laughs> we prayed and god was faithful and my mom walked into the den and and there it was laying on the floor but my son was ready okay my son was ready to examine every nook every corner every every crevice to find that tiny little uh diamond and so this explorer kind of picture is what i want you to have in your mind okay as we dig into our passage this evening this is the kind of picture that i want you to have in your mind is this picture of someone who is ready to dig deep to painstakingly nitpick to find what they are looking for and what is it that they are looking for according to our passage tonight they are looking for fault they are looking for fault they are looking for problems and they are looking for issues and this is this is the context that that jesus is preaching in as well because we see in scripture that the pharisees were professional fault finders they were professional fault finders. We, when Jesus gives a parable about the Pharisees, usually he's talking to the Pharisees or against the Pharisees or something like this. But, at, at, uh, excuse me, in Scripture, the one parable that he actually gives about a Pharisee is the Pharisee that goes into the temple and says, Look at me, God. Look, I am not a worthless uh, sinner like the tax collector. Y'all remember that parable? Y'all remember when Jesus, Jesus says this? Uh, and, and the Pharisee is all proud. He's building himself up. But what he's really doing, he's building himself up by tearing someone else down. He is finding fault. And, and so <coughs> the people that Jesus is talking to directly in the Sermon of the Mount would have probably been very familiar with Pharisaic uh, judgment and the reality is they probably didn't have much of a problem with it they probably didn't have that big of an issue with it i remember when i played high school football and and i did something wrong and my my coach said you did this wrong and when i was in your position i did it right i didn't think anything of it i, I assumed he's telling the truth he did it right that's why he's the coach and i'm not and so there's probably the same kind of mindset going on there the pharisees live to such a high standard their righteousness is so good it's so big it's so bright it's so bold that okay well you can say that i'm doing some things wrong because i understand you are living this super righteous life but the problem with this is uh, i like how warren wearsby kind of classifies this this element of pharisaic judgment he says false righteousness helped to encourage false judgment and, and Jesus addresses this type of righteousness. You, you, you know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses this type of righteousness. You know, we have our own righteousness. We have our own way of building uh, ourselves up. And Jesus addresses this false righteousness that, of the Pharisees in, in chapter 5, verse 20, when he says, unless your righteousness surpasses, surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what we see here as we dig into to the beginning of chapter 7 is that kingdom righteousness condemns Pharisaic judgment. Kingdom righteousness 
condemns Pharisaic judgment. And so let's dig into that thought right now. Uh, Let's read uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. (coughs) Now what's interesting here is Jesus starts off with a very straightforward statement. It's a very straightforward command. He starts with three words, do not judge. If you're a KJV, you're judge not, all right? And so if if you're looking at, at first glance, it seems like Jesus is talking about any kind of judgment. Jesus is just saying, carte blanche, this is, this is the rule that you are to apply in all situations. Do not judge. I am forbidding any kind of judgment. Whether you are judging a brother or sister in Christ, whether you are judging the world, whatever you are doing, you do not judge. And Paul seems to accentuate this teaching a little bit. If you, if you would turn with me, or you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. Romans chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, and then verse 13. This is Paul talking about judgment. He says, For this very reason Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. And so we have this kind of idea laid out there that all kind of judgment is wrong. <coughs> and I think, I, I, I think it's pretty clear to say that, that this kind of idea is very prevalent in our culture today. This kind of idea, this kind of, this kind of thinking is, is absolutely accepted and, and, and uh, thrown out there in our culture today. We are told... And this is probably the, the, the catch word here, but we are told to tolerate all lifestyles and all decisions. But why is it then that Christians are the ones who are accused of being intolerant? If this is what Jesus means, then why is it that Christians are the ones who are accused of being intolerant? If we're not to find any fault in anything, in anyone, then we of all people must, must be the most tolerant of all people. We should not cast any judgment on murderers or rapists or pedophiles. We should joyfully accept homosexual women into the pastorate. We should consider lying, cheating, stealing as a DNA issue that must be understood instead of punished. And if this is what Jesus is teaching, then I think it is fair to say there are some very severe contradictions within his teaching. Uh, Let's let's just look at this passage itself. What's the very next verse? If you go to to verse 6, what does Jesus do? He starts referring to people as dogs and pigs. Now, I don't know about you, but last time someone called me a dog, and it happens, and people call me a pig too, different reasons. But anyways, uh, it, it wasn't a compliment. It wasn't a compliment. It was a form of judgment being expressed. And that's what Jesus is doing here too. Jesus is making, at the very next verse of him saying, do not judge, he comes and he says, look at these dogs and look at these pigs. Don't throw, don't throw what your best out to them, okay? And so we have right there a judgment happening. Uh, we go down a couple of verses to, to verses 15 through 20. He warns us against false prophets. 
Now, if, if you're not judging anybody, then, then you wouldn't call them a false prophet. And you certainly wouldn't warn anybody against them because they can say whatever they want to. It's okay. We tolerate that sort of thing. In fact, if we take the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, that what we have seen and what we've been talking about for so long now is that, that we have set up a standard of self-righteous uh, 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 I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, but but we've we've set ourselves in self set ourselves up in self righteousness, and Jesus is bringing us back to kingdom righteousness. And, and in order to do that, we have to say there's something wrong with self righteousness. There's something wrong with our raising ourselves up. And so, how inconsistent would Jesus have to be in order for him to blatantly say, "Do not judge anything, anyone, any time," even though I've this whole time been judging others? It doesn't make any sense. We, we can we can add on to this. Jesus goes directly to, uh, and, and in the in the Sermon on the Mount, it's kind of indirect judgments, but. Uh, but Jesus tells us very directly to make moral judgments elsewhere. John seven twenty four. Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances and make right judgment. Okay, so Jesus says, make a right judgment. Make a good moral judgment. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. This is dealing with church conflict. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. But just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so it says, if your brother has a fault, if your brother has a fault, well, if your brother has a fault and you're pointing it out, that is judgment. So first off, he's making a judgment about a sinful brother. And then he says at the very end, if he never responds, if he never repents, treat him like what? A pagan or a tax collector. Well, obviously he's not saying treat him like a king and, and hold him up high. He's saying treat him like a sinner. And so he's putting a judgment on pagans and tax collectors as well. And then finally, and obviously I'm beating the point down here, but I want to make it very, very clear. Paul applies it to the church. <coughs> First Corinthians chapter 5, the, the Corinthian church is struggling with sexual immorality. It says... Uh, in verse 5, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Galatians 1.9, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Philippians 3.2, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. And so what we have here is a very clear teaching in scripture that judging in and of itself is not a bad thing. John Calvin says this, We are not only permitted, but are even bound to condemn all sins unless we choose to rebel against God Himself. So what is it that Jesus is saying? When He jumps out right here at the beginning of chapter 7, and He says, Do not judge. John Calvin helps us out here again. He says, These words of Christ do not contain an absolute prohibition from judging, but are intended to cure a disease which appears to be natural to us all. So what we have here is not so much that Jesus is throwing out a prohibition, but that Jesus is throwing out a protection. Jesus is seeking to protect uh, protect us from our inborn sinful tendency, which Calvin refers to as a disease, to judge others in our pride. When we judge others in our pride, then we have sin. <coughs> And what we do 
uh, is, is we, we, in our pride, we seek to make ourselves look better and feel good as compared to others. Or we set others' lives against our unbiblical and earthly standards. Okay, so what we what we do is is we look at that mom or that dad and say, well, at least I'm not like that mom or that dad. I, I may not be a greatest parent in the world, but at least I'm not like that mom or that dad. Well, I'll, at least my job's not like that job. I, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't work there for anything. You know, whatever. And and maybe on a high school level, for those of y'all who are in the back, you know, that kid's not cool. And and so at least at least I'm cool. At least I got some friends. This kid doesn't have any friends. And what we do is we take the trivial fault and make it into a heinous crime. We take this small thing that we consider a fault, may not actually be a fault, but we take this small thing that we consider a fault, and in our pride we make this into a ginormous big crime. And then because in our mind we've already set a standard, in our mind we have already given this person a reputation, we look presumptuously on every other action they do. Usually, we pass an unfavorable judgment, even if others might look at that same action and pass a favorable judgment. Let me give you an example. Let's say a mother is out in public, and she scolds her child. And let's say it's, it's a pretty severe <coughs> scolding out in public, maybe in the store or something like that. Where let's, let's, let's give some life to it. It's a mother, it's a little five-year-old kid, and uh, a son, so you can get a picture in your mind, and they're at Dollar General. And, and he, wants a, he wants a coloring book. And she says no, and he, he gets upset, and she just lets him have it in, in Dollar General. Well, we look at this woman, and we say, <laughs> in our self-righteous pride, I would never do anything like that to my child. Not in, this, not in this setting. Or I would never do anything like that to my grandchild. Not in this setting. And so we go on with our lives, she goes on with her life, and then we run into each other again at some point later, and we see that this same lady is refusing a sucker to her child. Well, because we've already made this determination in our mind of what kind of mother that this lady is, what kind of parent she is, we conclude that she's just being mean. She's just holding out on her child because that's just the kind of mother that she is. Where others might look at her and say, well, maybe the child had too much to eat already or already had a sucker. And so she's keeping the second sucker from him. And so what, what we have here is, is, uh, is this tendency to find a fault in somebody, look for that fault, find a fault in somebody, and then cling to it. And then not let it go. Say, this is my first impression, and this is my lasting impression. I am holding on to this. And this is what Jesus is commanding us to break out of. This is what Jesus is commanding us not to seek out faults in others. Not that we be blind to sin. Again, I want to emphasize that. Not that we be blind to sin, but that we not be eager to judge. That it would not be something within us that we are seeking to do to find uh, faults in others. Because in the same way that we judge others, so will we be judged. And that judgment comes from God. That judgment is a divine judgment. That when we judge others, we are going to be judged in the same way. And this is God's form of discipline for this specific sin. But what's interesting about it is God's not going to send down a lightning bolt. 
Okay? If, if I'm judging somebody, God's not going to, in His discipline, send down a lightning bolt. God's not, in His discipline, going to slash my tires on the highway and I'm going to be late for a meeting and lose my job or, you know, anything like that. That's not it. No, God is, God orders the judgment, but He, he implements it by using man. He implements it by using man. He uses others to judge us as we have been judged. John Calvin again says, They will not be treated by uh uh, by others with greater kindness, but will experience in their turn the same severity which they had exercised towards others. As nothing is dearer or more valuable to us than, than our reputation, so nothing is more bitter than to be condemned or to be exposed to the reproaches and infamy of men. And yet it is by our own fault that we draw upon ourselves that very thing which our nature so strongly detest. So if I leave and I go and I question someone's character, it should come as no surprise if they question my character as well. In fact, I should expect it. But in that we could get into tit for tat and, and you know just a human retribution. But again, this is divine discipline. So here's, here's the thing. It does not ne- necessarily have to be the one that I am judging who is going to bring the judgment upon me. If I am judging someone, someone anybody... Uh, in, in a pharisaical kind of way, then, then the discipline that God provides, He provides it not necessarily through that same person, but maybe through someone else who sees a fault in me. But there's a purpose for this, guys. And this is where the grace comes in. There's a purpose for the, re- for the way that God disciplines us. And it's, it is so we will have self-examination and repentance. So that we will look at our own lives and that we would repent. And this is the example that Jesus gives us. So let's read it again. <clears throat> Verses 3 through 5. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, Think about this in a very literal sense. In a very, very literal sense. How many times in your life have you walked by somebody in church, at the store, any time in your life you've walked by somebody and said, Stop! There's a speck in your eye. (laughs) Hold on one second. I was passing by. I just happened to catch a glimpse of this speck that's in your eye. So if you could just stop right now, I'm going to get it out for you. Show of hands if that has happened to you five times in your life. No one. That's crazy. Y'all are all so old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I shouldn't have gone there. But <laughs> you've had plenty of opportunities is all I'm trying to say. And, and so uh, the point is it doesn't happen. That, that doesn't happen. So if we see a speck in someone's eye, why is that? It's because we're looking for it. It's because we are looking for that speck. Now a completely different question on the same no. How many times have we figuratively stopped to look at the speck in someone's eye? I won't ask for a show of hands on this one, but I will give you an example. Chuck Swindoll, a pretty famous preacher, probably many of you are familiar with him, was doing a camp in California. He was approached by a man, and it was, it was the first day of the camp, or first evening of the camp. It started on a Monday. And, uh, and a man approached him and he said, I can't tell you how excited I am to be here. I'm just so glad to be here and uh, looking forward to, to what God's going to do through you. 
and of course this encouraged him and he said well thank you very much well the conference started that Monday night and, and this guy and his wife were sitting on the front row and so he was like alright this is going to work out I have this real encouraging guy well he starts preaching and old boy passes out I mean, just falls asleep on the front row well you know He's a pretty reasonable man, and he thinks to himself, okay, they probably drove from a long way away. It's been a long day. So night number one, I understand, you you fall asleep. Those things happen. So Tuesday comes, and Wednesday comes, and both nights, old boy falls asleep again. Now Swindoll (laughs) says that he was getting a little frustrated. He's getting a little ticked at this guy. He's like, you came to me to tell me how excited you were to hear me preach. Then you come and not only tell me this, but we're in this giant coliseum, and you sit on the front row where I can see you, and I've worked so hard at this, and I'm preaching my heart out, and here you are falling asleep. I can't believe this. Thursday comes. Falls asleep again. Finally, Friday morning, it's the last session of the event and uh, this guy's wife comes, comes up to Chuck Swindoll <coughs> and says, I just want to thank you for such an incredible week of ministry. It's been such a blessing to us, and especially for my husband. And I want to also apologize for him falling asleep. He said, my, see, my, my husband has terminal cancer, and uh, the doctor gives him about two weeks to live. And he said the only thing that he wanted to do before he died was go hear Chuck Swindoll preach. Fortunately, of course, the medicine that he's on makes him fall asleep, and so he can't even stay up for the thing that he most wanted to do. But I want to let you know, Mr. Swindoll, that this has been the best week of the last part of his life. <laughs> Chuck Swindoll said later, I could have crawled under a rock. <laughs> he passed a judgment that was completely off base because he was looking for the speck. He was looking for the speck. And how often do we do the same thing without knowing the whole story? How often do we do the exact same thing when we do not have the big picture? And I love what Jesus does here. He says, you're looking for this speck, but what do you find? You found a plank. You're looking for this speck, but what do you find? You find a plank in your own eye. Now, obviously, Jesus' example here is exaggerated. Of course, no one looks for a speck in someone else's eye if they have a toothpick hanging out of their eye, let alone a plank. That's ridiculous. But, of course, that's the point. That's the point. Before we judge others, we ought to examine ourselves. Again, I'll say it again. It is right to judge others according to God's word and in love. But without self-examinations, those judgments coming from you very well may ring hollow. It's kind of like a, a little girl. She said, Mom, why do you have so many gray hairs? <laughs> and Mom gets a little frazzled by this. I can't believe my little girl just asked me this. Why do you have so many gray hairs? And so she kind of spits back at her, Listen, I have one gray hair for every time you disobeyed me. The little girl looks at Mom, puzzled. Is that why grandma has so many gray hairs? (laughs) See, there is something that is completely disingenuous about blatant, hypocritical judgment. It is simply ineffective. It is simply ineffective. And so what Jesus says is remove the plank from your eye first. 
Don't go and, and take that speck out. Don't have to turn your head this way and, and take that spe- speck out so that, so that you don't hit them with their own plank in your eye. No, take the plank out of your eye first. Examine yourself first. When, when you realize that there's a plank hanging out of your eye, repent. That's what take the plank out means. Notice that it's there, self-examine, then repent. Turn from that sin. Pull that sin out from your life. And when you do that, you are better able to see the sin in another person's life because you're not justifying it in your own life. When we justify our sin in our own life, how are we supposed to help someone who's struggling with the same thing? And in this way, we won't be hypocritical. But we also see the purpose behind all this. See, it's real easy for people to bash the church and call us super judgmental and call us intolerant and and all these things. And to a point, they're right. And I want to be clear here. that when, When we take a beating from the media and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're right because the reason we're doing it is because they don't look like us. The reason that we're doing it is because they don't, they don't fit the same standards that we fit. And they don't, they don't act the way that we have set up the way to act. And sometimes they are right because we are not judging for the purpose that Jesus has given us to judge. And we see the purpose of judgment right here in verse 5. So that we may remove the speck from our brother's eye. It is not so we can call them down. So that not so that we can be like James and John. Lord, we will call down thunder on these brothers and you will wipe them out. Jesus gets mad about that. He doesn't say, yeah, let's do that. Come on, let's wipe them out. No. Jesus is slow to anger and abounding in love. He wants no man to perish. He wants all men to come to repentance. What's the deal here is that, is that when we judge, we must have a pure motive behind our judgment, and that is to help our brother not to harm him. That is to show him grace instead of showing him wrath. When we judge, it is not to condemn. Because Jesus didn't come to condemn. Verse 17 in the next verse of the most popular verse in Scripture says for the son of man did not come or or excuse me for god did not send his son to condemn the world but to save the world through him romans 8 1 paul concurs therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus The, the point of biblical judgment is to restore to help our brother see straight again so how do we go about removing the speck from our brother's eye Well, very literally, how do we go about removing a speck from our own eye? How do you do it? Very, very gently. (laughs) That's what we do, right? If there's something in my eye, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I don't want to touch it. I don't go in there with a hot fire poker and try to jab it out of there. No, of course I don't do that. That's, That's insane. I very gently try to touch my finger to my eye, let my finger get wet from the moisture on my eye, so that whatever stuck on my eye will now stick on my finger, and I can slowly and gently uh, pull it away. And this is how we are supposed to deal with our brother in sin. We don't hide from it, and we don't pretend like it's not there, and we don't attack him and scold him for such ungodly behavior. But what we do is we gently and honestly confront it in order that he may be restored. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, 
If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Now, here's the reality, guys. If we wanted to, we wanted to, we could all grab our little Sherlock Holmes uh, magnifying glasses and go around and, and look for dirt in everybody's lives. And the reality is we'd probably find a whole lot of it. But if that's our heart, then we already have a plank in our own eye. The church is not intended to tear each other down, but to build each other up. And sometimes that takes judging sins so that a brother may be restored. But it definitely means, it definitely 100% means that the judgmental attitude of seeking, of putting on all that equipment to be like Carson, looking for those things that are wrong, needs to be thrown back to hell where it belongs. Because, uh, because that, that attitude will keep us torn down. That attitude will keep us torn apart. And I know the, the issue is, when you come to application, the issue is, how do I stop myself from having a judgmental spirit? If I, I've struggled with this for a very long time, how do, how do I stop myself from, from looking at others and saying, seeing a fault and, and expounding on that fault? I've, I've been doing this my whole life. I've been taught this. This is, this is the way I've been raised and all that other kind of, of stuff. How do we control what's been controlling us? And I would say this. It helps to remember that God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, when we recognize the depth of our sin, when we recognize how, how morbid and disgusting and filthy we were before the Father, and how deep our depravity was, but in God's grace and in His love, He pulled us out. When He had all the right in the world to judge us completely and forever, to send us to hell for eternity, we recognize the grace that's been given to us then we may be able a little bit better to give that same grace to others. <clears throat> so, question, concluding question tonight is, who are you judging? Who are you judging? With a critical spirit, who are you judging? Forgive them. <laughs> Forgive them and confront them if necessary. <clears throat> and guess what? In doing so, very well may rescue their soul. What an amazing responsibility. What an amazing lesson Jesus gives us right here. What will we do with it? Are we just going to leave this place and continue to judge like we've always judged? Or will we leave this place and seek to restore those who have sinned against us, those who are causing harm? Let's pray. God, I love you. And and Lord, this is one of those difficult messages because, because judgment is just real. It's a part of our lives. It's something that uh, I think if we're honest, <coughs> we all struggle with. It's something that we all set up certain standards in our hearts and in our minds. And, and God, sometimes they are godly and, and oftentimes they are not. So when somebody uh, in, in their own way does something that is different than us, we, we in our minds, belittle them, and in, and in such a way we sin. So Father, I pray by Your grace that You would help us to see the plank in our eye. 
we would see the plank in our eye individually, Father, and that we would see the plank in our eye as a church. Father, we would see the plank in our eye as a denomination. We consider our brothers who don't practice Christianity the same way that we do. God, that you would help us as we recognize this plank to repent, to pull it out. God, so that we may lead our brother back to you. Father, would you, would you just help us, God? God, it's not going to be anything that I say that's going to draw this into somebody's heart. But it is only going to be by your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray by your grace that you would cover this place with your Holy Spirit. And we would recognize the depth of the grace that was provided for us. And in response to you, love others in that same way. God, speak to us, challenge us, and change us. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.